When we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 today, he is about to face the greatest test of faith that any human being could ever undergo. And I have been looking forward to this particular message more than any of the ones we've done so far, simply because it tells the greatest story of the Old Testament. And it's the greatest story of the Old Testament because it prefigures, it foreshadows the greatest, most historic moment in all of human history, the greatest event of the New Testament. Now, as you may recall, in this particular story we've been tracing, uh, Abraham and Sarah have been on a long journey. They have been praying and yearning for the birth of a child, and God has promised them he will give them a child. Now that child has been born. The child is actually 15 years old at the moment we meet uh, Abram again in uh, chapter 22, their son Isaac, a a middle teenager. Uh, Abraham and Sarah themselves are now 115 years old. In other words, they are the oldest parents at their kids' soccer game, without a doubt. And, and, And the text reads, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am, here I am. We're going to hear those words of, of, on the lips of many other servants through the pages of the scriptures. Uh, we will actually hear Sarah's son Isaac one day saying those very words himself to God. Uh, Isaac's son Jacob will utter it. Moses will respond this way to God also. The prophet Samuel later on will answer like this when he is just a boy. Isaiah will say these words. Later on in the New Testament, some fishermen uh, alongside the lake, the Sea of Galilee, will also respond in effect with these words to an itinerant rabbi who compels their interests and invites them to come follow him. When we read these words, here I am, we're tempted, I think, to think, that, think of those times back in homeroom when our teacher called out our name and we said present. But the words themselves actually carry far more import and significance than, than that kind of mumbled response, yes, I'm here in the room. These words are much more like, in the original Hebrew sense of it, like uh, what a servant would respond when the master called, or what uh, a, um, a soldier, a foot soldier, might say in response to the call of the most senior officer they've ever met. In the Hebrew language, here I am is the way of saying, I am yours. Command me as you will. Do with me as you wish, for to you I surrender It's a very impressive statement coming from the lips of Abraham if you think about it in context. Because just about every other time that Abraham has been called by God, it has been to do something really difficult. It has been to leave behind uh, comfort and uh, stability and familiarity and to go out and take a leap of faith and do something really quite daring. And yet, here again, without knowing all of the fullness of what is yet to come, all of what God has in store for him and for his family, Abraham answers, here I am, here I am, Lord, to you I surrender all. 
why does Abraham do that? Why does he do this? Well, if we've been following along in the story, we know that it is in part because Abraham has decided to really follow God. He is not just a fan of God, he's a follower of God, and he's willing to go where God tells him to go. He has grown over the years to really trust God. When God calls him, even though he doesn't know the future, what's around the next bend, he's seen that when he's followed God and trusted him, God has been good and has taken care of him. Abraham has learned to prioritize God, as we talked about last week. He has learned to give God the first and the best and has found that that has worked in his life and brought forth blessings uh, through it. And then, and then comes this call. This is the toughest call that he's ever heard by a long margin. Biblical scholars point out that up to this place in the storyline, the narrative has been moving along at a pretty brisk clip. In a sense, we get this feeling that the, that the camera has been following the life of Abraham and Sarah on rails as they race from place to place to place, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, almost breathlessly through, through the pages of Genesis. And then at chapter 22, the camera slows on the rails and zooms in very close to Abraham. And the text reads, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And we're thinking, what? What? Sacrifice your son, your only son, the son whom you love, the son for which you and Sarah have been waiting and journeying and suffering for all of these decades, the son who is the joyful delight, the social security program of your old age, the son for whom you left that comfortable life in Ur and went off on this entire journey, and God is saying, yes, that son, Isaac, surrender him. Surrender him to me. What kind of a God asks something like that? I mean, if that hadn't kicked up for you, you weren't really paying attention to the story. What kind of a God promises this son and then says once the delivery is there, I want him back? It sounds more like the, the God of the terrorist than the Abba Father of, that Jesus teaches us about. So hold on to that question because it's a very fair question that we'll return to in, in, in a moment. But just start thinking about this for yourself. What's your Isaac? What's my Isaac? What is that most precious thing? that top person, that greatest prize, that highest priority in my life other than God? What's my Isaac? And imagine God saying to you, surrender it. 
Surrender it to me. Sacrifice it to me. Tell me you're not speechless when you really think about that kind of of a call. That is exactly what happens in the story here. The camera zooms in on Abraham's slack-jawed face as the voice of God hangs in the air and Abraham has the wind totally knocked out of him. I mean, he's, he can't say anything. He, and, and, the, and the camera just, the screen goes dark. And that's the end of the encounter as we hear about it that day. The camera opens up again some hours later and we're told that early the next morning Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. And when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up. He was traveling up a mountain. And he looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now pay attention to that phrase, on the third day. Because that's going to be a really big phrase in the Bible later on, isn't it? Sometimes I think life goes dark for a moment or two and we can hang on to our faith pretty easily. Uh, the Cubs lose a game, and we think it's going to be okay. You know, a- another game is coming. It's like this in our own lives. Things are difficult for a brief period, and we still hold on to faith that God is at work for good. But, but sometimes the darkness lasts for an entire day, or even for two days, and faith gets a whole lot harder for us. We begin to wonder if God is still there, if we can really count on the things that he's said to us. Some of you have experienced that in your own life. You said, God, I trust you when you first lost your job or when you buried that particular loved one. Uh, but now the days are starting to mount up since you first ventured that faith. You trusted God when he told you to, to stop drinking or when he told you to leave or to cleave to that particular relationship. But now you're getting really tired of walking. It's been a long journey, and you're starting to flag in your faith. Or you felt God was calling you to make this significant financial investment in his work, or this, this commitment to volunteering for some important kingdom assignment. And now you're thinking to yourself, where's the fruit from that? What's, what's going on? Why am I not seeing the payoff of this investment I've made? Remember, a very important biblical principle here. It's, it's only the beginning of faith when you say yes to God on the first day. It's not fully faith until you're still saying, here I am, I'm surrendering to you, on the third day. That's third day faith. On the third day, the Bible says, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship 
and then we'll come back to you. Notice that, that what Abraham is about to do, he describes as an act of what? Worship. He sees this, this sacrifice that he's trembling, even thinking about making as an act of worship, of putting God first in his life. And then notice that he also says, we will come back to you. I, thought, I think that's fascinating that he says this. And I've, I've pondered what was going on in his mind as he said this. Was he, was he lying to, to, to protect Isaac? Didn't want Isaac to know that Abram was coming back alone from this journey. The boy wasn't going to make the return trip with him. Or did, did Abraham still think that maybe God had some other kind of plan? Regardless, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, the Bible says, and placed it on his son Isaac. In other words, he gave the kid, the strong-bodied kid, the heavy load as they made their way up the Mount of Moriah. And he himself, the Bible says, carried the fire, the torch, and the knife. What was Abraham thinking about as he's making this walk up that hill? I mean, what's going through his mind? Is he thinking about just turning around and going back? I think I might have. Or is, or is he thinking to himself, is he trying to focus again on God's promise that God would make him the father of many nations? Surely God was not going to actually finally take Isaac and break that promise. Did, did he rerun the, the mental vision of the video that God gave him in that dream of this covenant that God was going to seal in blood and how God was going to take responsibility for making the sacrifice himself? Remember back in Genesis chapter 15, we looked at that vision. Did Abraham just keep turning over and over in his mind all of the ways that God had provided for him along the journey and trust that God was the provider still? What was Abraham thinking? I have to think he must have been clinging to some of that hope. I just cannot see how Abraham possibly keeps climbing that mountain towards that ultimate altar on the strength of his character alone. I mean, what parent could do that? Could you, with your precious child along by your side? The only way I think Abraham moves forward is because he, he trusts the character of God. He's putting all his chips on the character of God. God must have a bigger plan. Please hold on to that. When the road is long for you, when the mountain is steep for you, when all of the circumstances seem dire for you, when the day is dark and getting colder, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, surrender to him, and he will direct your path. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but, 
where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, a place of worship there. And he arranged the wood on top of it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now I want to point out here an oft-neglected detail in the story. Because this detail is everything in the story and will help us understand a subsequent story so much better. Have you ever tried to get a 15-year-old child just to lay down and go to bed against their will? How easy was that? Do you think there is any chance that that 15-year-old Isaac hasn't figured out now what's going on as dad brings out the rope. Doesn't have the physical capacity to overpower his 115-year-old father. The only thing that explains what's going on here is that Isaac lays himself down on that altar voluntarily. Why? Why? Here's my theory. Abraham and Sarah have followed and trusted and prioritized God for so long, have surrendered themselves so faithfully for so long to the Lord that the flame of their faith has now caught in the heart of their son. And he's trusting God too. One of the most important things we get to do in life is to live in such a way that demonstrates our followership, our trust, our prioritizing, our willing to sacrifice for God, that our kids and the younger generations, those who are watching us, are inspired by it and faith catches in their lives too. That may be the biggest outcome of this entire Take Root thing is that some of the younger kids in our church are going to see what the adults are doing, the way they're prioritizing the work of the kingdom, and it's going to catch fire in their hearts and their lives. Finally, the ultimate moment came, and then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son And here's where we get an answer to that question we posed before of whether the biblical God is really no different than the pagan God or the terrorist God. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, he said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham had passed the supreme test here. Abraham 
had shown that there was no mountain he would not climb for God. There was no sacrifice he would not dare to make. He'd proven that his life was a conduit so clean, a river so pure, a tree so healthy that God could pour out infinite blessings across history through his life. As God did, the very power of redemption, the Savior himself would come through Abraham and Sarah's children. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh in the Hebrew. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide is what it means. And to this day it is said, this is Genesis 22 speaking, and to this day, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Centuries went by And this story passed into history. It was kept alive by Jewish mothers and fathers who told the story to their children, who felt there was significance in this story. And it became one of the important tales, not just of of Judaism, but of, of Islam and Christianity as well. Eventually, a a village grew up on the site of that sacrifice. And the village, in time, became a town. And then that town became a great city. And the city was called Jerusalem. One day, another procession went up the hill, outside of the city, to the top of a mount believed to have been the place where the sacrifice was made. And there, that procession also performed a sacrifice. Only this one, it turns out, was the ultimate sacrifice of all. It was the sacrifice to which it turned out the tale of Abraham and Isaac had just been a pointer, a a prefiguring, a prophetic foreshadowing to help generations who would follow on dare to believe that God is the Lord of history. He is weaving a perfect plan, a pattern into time and into space, and he can be trusted even when we seem to be lost in the chaos of the moment. And as on that same mount long ago, wood for a sacrifice was laid down. And just like before, a son laid himself down upon the wood voluntarily. Suddenly, the ancient words of Genesis 22 came into their clearest focus and their deepest kind of meaning. God will provide himself the lamb, my son. In a cosmic transformation of the final act of the Genesis story, 
God takes the place of both the Father and the Son. He takes the place of Abraham and of Isaac. And the greatest of all fathers sacrifices the greatest of all sons, his only begotten son, whom he loves. God provides and surrenders all for the sake of others. And the new covenant is sealed in his blood in that place. And the sins whoever, of whoever trusts in that blood are washed away at that place. And you and I are given the sign of the cross for all time to show us that God loves us with total abandon and total surrender and complete sacrifice. This is the gospel. This is the good news. When I look back on the small story of my own life in light of that huge story, it's impossible for me to dwell on all of the sacrifices I have made for God. All I can see is the gigantic size of the sacrifice, the surrender that he has made toward me, toward you, towards this world. One of the personal breakthroughs that has happened for Amy and for me in this whole Take Root journey has been coming to terms at a whole new level for ourselves with how limited our sacrifice has been for the things of God. How, how very marginal, in a sense, has been the level of our real commitment so far in response to all that grace. For years, we've been giving here and in other kingdom places uh, a 10% slice of the pie that God has provided for us. But honestly, it, while it changed us at the beginning when we first started out on the journey, it's long since stopped really affecting us, testing us, stretching us, as it once did. It certainly isn't honoring God at the level of his immense, his immense generosity towards us or his huge concern for the needs of our world. And at our advanced commitment night two Fridays ago, I shared how God has just been messing with Amy and me in the best sense of that term and, and leading us to think about how we could start stretching, start looking at the whole pie of our resources as available to him for his purposes. So we took a close look first, as I shared a, a, a week or so ago, at just how we're spending the money that comes in annually to us. We broke it all down. We used one of those computer programs and we looked at every single category of our spending. And we were amazed to discover how big some of those slices were. And, and God convinced us. You know, there's, there's a portion of what we spend on things like travel and entertainment and restaurants and uh, electronics and all kinds of other sorts of things that, that could be redirected profitably towards the needs of others that God sees, towards the work of this church. And we could suddenly see how like literally thousands of dollars could be freed up for better purposes 
if we made them available to him. We then took a look beyond our regular income at our stored resources, at what had been piling up in in bank accounts and and in reserves in various places in our life. And Amy was the one, in this case, she led the way in making the decision. She said, you know that inheritance I got from my dad's estate? And I said, yeah, you mean the one that we're going to be using for those two kids that are going to be in college next year? And she said, that one. I think we're supposed to give that to this Take Root initiative and just trust God to provide. And so, all in, over the next two years, we're going to be able to make the first six-figure gift we've ever been able to make to God's work. And it scares us. Honestly, it scares us. This is a big, big leap of faith for us. But it feels to us like a fuller surrender of our lives. It feels like a deeper investment of ourselves in God's purposes, and we're choosing to trust that he is still Jehovah Jireh, He's the God who provides. For a lot of us, giving is like a line item on a spreadsheet. It's it's one of the things amongst the long list of stuff that we do. But when our lives are truly rooted in Christ, we surrender our full capacity to him. At least that's what I think the Bible is teaching us. It doesn't mean that we will sell all that we have and give it to the church. As far as I could tell, that was requested once of the rich young ruler in the scriptures, but doesn't seem to have been asked again and again to others who followed Jesus. But it does mean that we will start to honor God with all that we have. We we will put our whole life on the altar in gratitude for the fact that he got there first. He put himself on that altar for our sake. And we will say, God, here I am. I surrender. I surrender to you. I can't stress this enough. God doesn't need your Isaac. He does not demand your Isaac. But he does ask you to be willing to make everything you are and love and cling to available for his purposes. And maybe you'll be inspired as I was by the testimony of how another family in our church has been wrestling with these things. Let's watch together. I just walked upstairs, got my money, walked back downstairs, and I'm like, Mom, we're doing it now. He put $100 right in front of me at my computer, and he said, I feel like God really told me to give $100. I was like, wow. I almost wanted to talk him out. There was a side of me that says, you know, but he said, Dad, there will always be birthdays and Christmases. Like, I'll get more. My seventh grade year at Camp Cal, we were beginning to pray, and they were like, just take a few, like, seconds and just reflect and think about stuff. And I just heard God talk to me in that moment and tell me that I should give away some money, but I didn't know what yet. And so I said, wow, buddy, that's really awesome. I said, you know, when God speaks to you that way, you have to listen. Let's just pay attention to that because it's really easy to just get busy and go back to life as normal and forget that you felt that God told you to do that. 
After I got home, I was like sleeping in my bed. My first night when I got back, I just like popped that idea back in my mind. He said, Mom, I know what I want to do with my money. And so I said, all right, what do you, what do you want to do? And he said, I, I want to give it to the homeless shelter and the, the church that served these people. I was kind of blown away, but yet I've seen this cultivated in Clay's life. He connects with people, and he's got this courageous faith where he just takes action with what he really senses God telling him to do. It's been inspirational for me. You know, I think anytime you see God move in someone's heart, you're inspired, but I think when it's your own child, and especially when it's the young child, to see that he actually took what God had told him seriously, that he didn't forget about it, that then he acted on it, that he sacrificed something that was important to him to give to somebody else. It was just one of those parenting moments that you sit back and say, wow, I'm learning something from my child. I think sometimes we think about all of this as just the gift I'm gonna give, or okay, the church is doing a campaign, so we'll be involved with it. And I think we miss that our lives are gonna change as a result of this, which means it's gonna to touch our kids, which means it's gonna to touch all those generations to come. Like we are shaping families of the future because we choose to be generous now and to stretch ourselves and what that even means. And to even go further to maybe what we think we can, that's called faith. We're gonna have families exercise faith that are just gonna create ripples to the third, fourth generation. Even thinking about the founders of the church and people who gave sacrificially to that and to different things that the church has done. And we now are the beneficiaries of those stories and we get to hear how God moved through those people. And so to think about now that we have the opportunity to be those people who are able to tell a story of generosity that is going to impact future generations. I hope those generations sit someday and hear those stories of generosity and think, oh, I want to give back in the same way that people sacrifice for me. Just like we get to look at those people 50 years ago and say, oh, I'm so thankful that they sacrificed because we're benefiting from that now. The opportunity is so, I think, huge and just sitting right there, we need to seize this one. It's our time. It's our time to make a huge investment that will literally impact thousands and thousands of people here and around the world. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Next weekend, uh, all of us who love Christ Church, whether we're members or attenders, uh, those of us who have found the blessing of God in this place and care about its future, are going to make a commitment. And we're going to make use of this trust tool that uh, God is giving us in the form of this particular card. And I want to just articulate my prayer that whatever number you end up putting down on that bottom line, uh, and all the other lines, by the way, are just worksheet. It's that bottom line that's the critical one. Whatever you feel led to do to declare your support for the whole ministry and the forward movement of the church these next two years will reflect in your life three crucial movements. First of all, I hope it's going to reflect bold faith. Uh, it, a, a real step forward in your own journey 
of faith. Make a commitment that shows that you are rooting your life more deeply in him than maybe you have ever done before in your journey. Let it be something that represents your first and your best in the way that we see modeled in the life of Abraham. Let it be a leap of faith in a sense that changes the nature of your relationship with God and with the work of his kingdom. Uh, some of you may have made a commitment already to this purpose on Advanced Commitment Night, but you're, you're, you're sensing, even as you go through this week, that maybe what I did with the card the first time didn't represent full surrender. Uh, it just it wasn't really touching sacrifice in the way that I believe God uh, is stirring up in me. Amy and I stand with you in that. Ask God to show you what would represent really bold faith. Secondly, let whatever you end up writing down uh, touch genuine sacrifice in your life. Uh, Chip Ingram writes, God measures generosity not by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice and the depth of obedience. Uh, Jesus once saw a widow who gave just two little coins into the treasury uh, for the work of the temple. And, and next to her were people who were giving very big sums. But, but Jesus pointed out the faith of the widow and her might as exemplary because it represented a far greater sacrifice for her than for those who were giving comparatively much larger sums. For some of us on fixed incomes with nothing stored up, you know, giving even $1,000 more will represent us touching sacrifice. For some of us who have much greater capacity, giving $100,000 or even a million dollars might not even be touching sacrifice yet. Just ask God to show you uh, what does genuine sacrifice look like for me as I seek to do your will? Finally, my prayer is that whatever you put on that commitment card, that God lets it become an instrument of true surrender, real surrender to God in, in your own life. There's a, there's a difference between uh, involvement and surrender. Uh, lots of us are involved in the church but not surrendered sometimes to God. I love the old story, and you've probably heard it before, of if you're enjoying a breakfast of eggs and bacon, you know both the chicken and the pig contributed something. The chicken had to get involved to provide those eggs. The pig had to surrender, had to really surrender. Now seriously, seriously, it's possible for us to sit in church for years and years and years to, to enjoy the ministries of the church, uh, to, to be nominally engaged with them, uh, to uh, be obeying some of the commandments of Jesus, to love the idea that Jesus is our Savior, but to have never surrendered fully to his lordship, to letting him be number one in our lives. So don't stay in that place if you are. Uh, step out. <laughs> the way Abraham and Sarah did. Don't miss the blessings that God wants to pour into you and through you into the world. You saw what he did when Abraham and Sarah surrendered. Now is your time and my time. This is our time to root ourselves more deeply in Christ than we've ever done before for the sake of others. Amen.